All right, we are in the book of Revelation, and we are at Revelation chapter 20, and we are looking at verses 11 through 15, and we are coming to the, to the end of the study. It just seems amazing to me to think about that, um, but Lord willing, within the next week or two, we will be finishing this up. Um, part of me um, is looking at trying to do chapter 21 and 22 at the same time, all a message on heaven by itself, but um, it's kind of hard for me to do a couple verses in, in one week, so to think about doing two chapters in one week is really overwhelming, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but I'd like to do um, some series on, on Christmas as well and the coming, the incarnation of Christ, and so um, we'll be looking at that as well. So, here in Revelation 20, we, have, we are in the section of the things that shall be, we have, over the course of the year, looked at the things that were, the things that are, and now the things that shall be. And this is really the, the, the tail end of it. Last week, we looked at the millennial reign of Christ, a literal 1,000 years where Christ will physically reign on the earth. And we talked that last week, in, in the beginning of chapter 20, that that was the last earthly segment of eschatology, if you would. Because what we're going to start looking at today, with the great white throne, is not here on the earth, but rather it is, is, a heavenly, is a heavenly moment. It is a time when the dead, small, and great, and we'll begin to look at this in a moment, the dead, small, and great will be raised up, and they will come before the throne of God. Many people in our day today refer to this as the, the judgment day. And it's amazing that most people today, even most Americans, would say that they believe. They believe in God and that they believe that there will be a judgment day. But they don't believe, well, they don't believe what the Bible says about it. Because they don't know. They don't know. Or, many have rejected it. Many have rejected the message that ties hand in hand with what we're going to look at today. And so we want to look at this great white throne. And in this seeing of the great white throne, we see this, this scene. And this scene has um, of a throne that is lifted up, this great white throne. And he who sat on it the, from the whole earth and heavens fled away. And so the first thing we see is we see this throne. And we see that the, the, the nature itself, the heavens and the earth, are fleeing from it. And, and there is found no place for it. Well, in the, the Hebrew thought, this is a... Um, this is a a, a statement that talks about the, the sovereignty and the power of God, who God is. That The fact is that God is so holy, God is so separate, that even creation itself can be found in his presence. Think about the angels when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and we see the angels, and the angels, the seraphim, they each have how many wings? Six wings. Six wings. With two, they cover their eyes, their faces, because they can't look upon him. With two, they cover their feet because of the humility of the whole thing, because the feet are considered to be a, um, uh, the, the lowliest of our the, the dishonorable places. And with two, they fly. And so, talking about this humility, so even his creation has this humbleness that are about him. And so we see this in Psalm chapter 18, verses 6 to 9. It says, 
uh, the, the psalmist writes, In my distress I called upon Yahweh and cried out to my God, and he heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came up before him, even to his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hill also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. And in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, we read, He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations. The ever, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. The mountains you saw and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows, that is God's arrows, they went. At the shining of your glittering spear. What's the point? That when God speaks, when God acts, when God moves, when God gets angry, all of nature bows. All of nature flees, if you would, at his presence. All of nature recognizes who God is. Now this is important because what we're going to be looking at is the judgment seat of God. One which we try to, at times, um, understand flippantly. We we ignore it. We just talk about it. The world just kind of talks about the big guy in the sky. You know, as long as my good works outweigh my bad works, it's, it's okay. Right, big guy? You know, grandpa winking and that stuff. But it's interesting that his very nature, his very creation, understands who he is. He is the one who breathed the breath of life into you. And he is the one, at a moment, can snuff it back out. He is the one who set the death angel to kill 180,000 Assyrian troops in one night. This is a New Testament passage. Many people say there's a difference between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. The Old Testament God was a God of wrath and a God of war, but the New Testament God is a God of love. But they ignore the passages where the fullness of God is described. The Old Testament God was a God of love as well. He was a God of mercy. The song we sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness, The Steadfast Love of the Lord Never Ceases, is an Old Testament verse. It's not a New Testament verse. So the Creator God, the one who was there in the beginning, who was eternal from the past, who spoke everything into existence, is a holy God. Holy. 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 He is fully set apart. In his love, he is set apart. In his power, he is set apart. In his justice, he is set apart. In his righteousness, he is set apart. He is not like man that he should lie. He doesn't deceive. He speaks truth. And so what we read, we can believe. Now I know I might be preaching to the choir here, 
but sometimes I think we need to be reminded of it. David cries out in his psalm, Spare me from presumptuous sins. Sins of presumption. Do you know what sins of presumption are? It's when I presume upon the grace of God. And I say, oh, you know, God, I'm forgiven, right? Christians aren't, what's the bumper sticker say? Come on, Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven, which means they can do what? Whatever they want to do. Isn't that sad? And then we act like it. Now, we're not talking about, because we're not in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're not talking about the, the judgment seat of Christ here. We're talking about the great white throne judgment. We know that we've already been harpazoed, we've already been, we've already been raptured. We've already been reigning with Christ during the millennial reign, during that 1,000 years. So this isn't for believers. This, this, this we're going to see is for unbelievers. But it would be a failure on our part to not see the application of this judgment seat and be reminded that according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that even as I, as a believer, when I depart from this tent, I will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for what I've done with him while I've been in the flesh. I may not lose my salvation. I may not have to fear whether I'm going to hell or going to heaven, but I will give an account. And so as we go through this Great white throne, looking at God judging the unrighteous, the, the sinners, the unbelievers. I think we need to remember that same God is my God. And the judgment that is just upon them that we will see is the same righteousness that he holds to you and I if you claim the name of Christ. So, this throne we see is, is high. It's, lift, it's great. It's white. It's, a, it's, it's, it's a, a place of reigning. But in it, we see that there are people. There is a multitude of people. There is the dead, small and great, that are, that are standing before the throne. And I, I have a couple pictures just to, to show masses of people in different venues. But do you understand how many people there must be at this point. Because we read in, in Matthew chapter 7, can you hit the light for us back there? Lawrence, can you hit the, the light for us? There you go. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who what? Go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few that find it. Do you remember when we talked about this word few? Back when we talked about the, 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 the seventh nation or the, the eighth nation that would rise up for just a few years? Do you remember just a few weeks ago, about a month and a half ago, we talked about the beast and the seven heads and there was actually an eighth nation that was going to arise up and it was going to, it was going to be just for a few years. It's just for a short while. This is that word. Just a few We'll find it. I'm a math major. I love math. I love statistics. Statistics are wonderful. You can prove anything you want from statistics. But statistically speaking, mathematically speaking, what does the word few mean? 
quite less than half. Right. I mean, I would say it's by 30% or less. And so when we consider that then, when we consider few will be that find it, that would mean the other side is there, and that is what? Or more. The vast majority won't. The vast majority is these many who will go by the broad path, the broad gate. These are the people that are here before this throne. These are your neighbors, your family members, your workmates who don't know Jesus Christ. And when I see pictures like these, a big walk for hunger, a political rally with a vast array of people from all different stripes, a venue like Christmas Made in the South, where there are um, people are, are all together in a, in a conference center looking at things. You who went to the Christmas Made in the South yesterday or you've been to those kind of things, there's a hodgepodge of people that are there. And we're told it'll be the dead, small and great. Those who have lived in poverty, those who have lived in half a million, one million, three million, $10 million homes. Those who have been janitors, those who have been CEOs and kings of nations, those who have been conscientious objectors, those who have been generals and admirals, the dead, small and great, the weak, the Herculean, They'll all be there. The mute, those who have great oratorical skills. It's amazing that at the foot of God, at the foot of his throne, how level the playing field becomes. Your heritage means nothing. It doesn't matter who your daddy was or your grandpa was. If I understand right, President Taft is, is one of my relatives. Does it impress you? He was the only president to ever get stuck in the bathtub. Anyways, he was a big man. <laughs> we could each go into our, our, our lineage and try to find somebody. But Paul said that though he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, though he was of the stock of Israel, though he was of the tribe of Benjamin, though he was a Pharisee, all of his lineage, all of his pedigree was meaningless when it came to his relationship before Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter whether these people are Americans, Germans, British, Egyptian, Tunisian, Moroccan, doesn't matter if they're Asian, European, African. 
They're all together, rubbing shoulders. They have no idea who each other are. And you know what? One day, it's going to be like that before the great white throne. And the dead, small and great, will come before him. We're told as well in Matthew 22, and they sent to him, that is to Jesus, their disciples with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Elsewhere in the book of Galatians, in the book of Romans, we're told that God is not a respecter of person. He doesn't show favoritism. God doesn't suffer from prejudice. All will come before the throne, before the judgment seat, and will give an account based upon the same, exact same standard. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But we see as well the books that are there. First, we see that there is a, a stack of books. These are the books of the works of men. And we're told that it's in plural. There were these books that were there. And we're told later that the people were judged according to which were written in the books, the things that they had done. So I refer to them as the book of works. But we're told that there is then another book that is there. And I liken it to the other side of the throne, if you would, that on this side there's like this huge library of volumes of books, you know. And on the other side of the throne there's this one book just sitting there. There's a book, and it's called the Book of Life. The Book of Life. And these books are going to play a very important part in this next phase, and that is the judgment phase. Now, in this picture, as we change from this throne to this judgment seat, and we kind of picture this big courtroom that's there, there is a criterion which is going to be used to judge each individual. What's the criterion? Does anybody know? Good, Don. Where's your name written? No. No, it's not the criterion. What did you do with Jesus Christ? No, not necessarily. I mean, you're, you guys are dead on. We're going to talk about that in a moment, okay? But there is another criterion that is really used first. Jessica, and then we'll come back here. According to their works, well, yes, it's, but what's the criterion itself? Good, we're getting closer to it now. We're getting closer. We're, we're, we're coming on, Ashton. The Ten Commandments, yeah, you see those up there. That's getting even closer, okay? That's the law, and that's the, kind of the picture of the law for us. But what does all this have to do? What is, what is, the, what is the, 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 let me give you a hint. Perfection. Perfection. Who is the embodiment of perfection? God. God. Jesus Christ is that on the earth because he, he is the incarnation of God, right? But God, the, the criterion of your judgment will be perfection. People say, what? I thought it was Jesus. Give me a moment. We'll get there. It ultimately is perfection. See, people don't understand, but I can keep me in context. Okay, don't don't, don't quote, if you're going to take a snippet of this tape, please include all the rest of my, my comments here. Anyways, there are two ways 
to get saved? There's not. But th there is, right? I mean, we say Jesus Christ. But ultimately, you can get to heaven if you are what? Perfect. If you are like God. The sad thing is, and this is mind-boggling to me, I just had the opportunity to, to, to talk to some of my favorite people on Friday who, who stopped by while I was studying. The, the Latter-day Saints came by. And um, anyways, and so it was a great opportunity, but this, the, the Lord laid on me about the, 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 the sacrifice. The, the one guy was very receptive, and then his, the, the, the boss came. He was across the street, and he came, and he was very unhappy with me um, being organized and, and presenting the gospel to him and, and commanding the, uh, the conversation. Anyways, he was not very happy. He wasn't happy at all. And, um, anyways, and so I, I thought about the sacrifice of Christ, and I, and, and I said, and that leads me to think about Christ's sacrifice and, and the, 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 the perfection of the sacrifice. And, da, 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 and so I started talking about, and I started talking about sin, and he says to me, and I never knew this before. I mean, I studied out Latter-day Saints and everything, and I've even gone to their site, but I didn't, rec I didn't realize this. He said, we don't believe in original sin. We don't believe in original sin. I said, you don't believe in the book of Romans? He said, well, we believe in the book of Romans. He said, no, you don't. Because Romans chapter 3 through 5 is all about the original sin. How that in Adam we have all sinned, and because of our sin we have all died. It's all about original sin, that we're all sinners. We've been born into sin. We don't believe that. Well, you don't believe Romans. I'll throw that one out, too, because you don't believe Ephesians 2. So we'll throw that out. I mean, and, and clearly the Book of Mormons is supposed to be built upon the foundation of the Bible. Hmm. If you've got a holy foundation, not a holy H-O-L-Y, but H-O with an E in there, it's a really got a bunch of porousness. It's a bad foundation. Anyways, so we go back to this, this original sin. Well, what does Matthew 5, 17 to 20, and verse 48 say about this? Turn there. Turn to Matthew 5. And let's read what Jesus says regarding this concept of perfection. Because, see, if you can get there by perfection, right, all you have to do is be without what? Sin. Well, Jesus intensifies this and states it. It's an amazing thing. In Matthew 5, 17 to 20, we read, Do not think that... Oop, what did I do? I done did something. I don't know what I did. All right, we'll see what happens in a moment here. But let's go on. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever, therefore, breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so, Jesus says that your righteousness has to exceed that of who? The scribes and the Pharisees. Well, this took people really... By surprise and off guard, why? Who were the Pharisees? Who were the scribes? Most knowledgeable, most holy, most righteous of individuals. That's exactly right. And so they, they said, there's no way. How can we do that? 
Well, he goes on. Look at verse 48. Somebody want to read that? Verse 48. Therefore you shall be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is, 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 is perfect. I don't know what, why it's doing this. Yeah, I, don't, I must, have, must have put something in there that didn't show when I went through this. I'm not quite sure what's going on. So, but yes, so we have this criterion then of perfection. Okay? Now, but right on that then, that we see then coming off of this criterion is the condemnation. Because now each individual, each individual is going to be judged based upon what is written where? In the, in the books. And let's see what we got going here. Okay? The condemnation, okay? And so we're told that each person is going to be judged based upon, I don't know what's going on here, folks based upon what's written in the, uh, the books. We'll see if it comes up in a second here. Um, you can turn the lights back on, because clearly this is, we got, we got problems with that, okay? And so we're told that, that in this, as they were looking at the, the Lamb's Book of Life, okay, that each person was going to be judged according to their, to their works, okay? And they were going to be condemned by their works. What does Romans 6.23 say? Anybody, can anybody quote that? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Good, okay. So, let's think about this verse. This is my favorite verse to witness from. Okay, and so we have two parallels happening here. We have the wages, gift. We have the sin. Um, wages of sin is death. Gift, God, eternal life, okay. And so... What's a wage? Something you work for, something you earn, something you deserve, right? I mean, it's yours, right? And so you've worked 40 hours this week, maybe 50, maybe 60. In the end of the week, you're supposed to be being paid cash. You walk up, and the boss says what? Sorry, we've had a hard week. No cash flow. Really appreciate your work and your endeavors. You are such a hard worker, and we look forward to having you here on Monday. And you say, it's okay, boss. I'm not here for the money. I just love to work for you, right? Doesn't matter whether my kids have anything to eat or not. We're back at the beginning on this thing. This is really kind of fun. No, it's, it's not that. It was, it was trying to bring that up. That's, so I'm not quite sure what. So we'll see if we can catch ourselves up. Anyways, so a wage is something that you work for. It's something that you earn, something that you deserve, something that you would demand if it wasn't given to you. True? Well, what are these for? For our what? Sin. Now, go back to that picture in your mind, okay, of that judgment seat. And Ashton, you were right. You know, as, as we see, what, we, what do we epitomize as the law? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Words of the Covenant. And so, as we consider just even the Ten Words of the Covenant, covenant, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything, whether in the heavens above, the earth beneath, or the waters below. You shall not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You shall honor your father and your mother. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. And you shall not covet your neighbor's property. Right? So, let's go through them real quick. Okay? Just in case there's somebody here who, who doesn't understand how much of a sinner they are. 
Okay? Let's skip the first three. That's kind of hard sometimes. People will kind of banter with me on those about the God things. But let's start with number four. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. How many of you yesterday went to, you went to synagogue? You, you, went to, you went to church, and you, you kept the entire, entire time from Friday 6 o'clock to Saturday 6 o'clock totally, totally free. You didn't even cook anything. You didn't pick up a, a twig. You didn't watch football. You meditated upon the Lord from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Hmm. So you all broke the Sabbath, huh? Chances are you probably break the Sabbath law a whole lot. What about honoring your father and your mother? How many of you have ever disobeyed your mom or dad? Some of you think you haven't. You've never disobeyed mom or your daddy? Have you ever lied to them? I'm thinking the first row. You should be, you should be seeing a bunch of hands going up. Feet are coming up too. I mean, toes, toes, fingers, everything's coming up. Have you ever lied to your mom and dad? Hmm. You know what lying is? It's really dishonoring to them, isn't it? And when you disobey, it's really dishonoring. Isn't, and so God said, honor your father and your mother. What about, what about murdering? How many of you have ever served time? Oh, I won't ask that. Served time from state pen for murder. But Jesus said, you've heard it said that thou shalt not commit murder, but I say unto you, if you call your brother Racha, if you call him an idiot, if you call him a fool, if you call him a nothingness, a deadhead, You've committed murder. Because sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will kill me. Isn't that right? Names hurt. And that's what Jesus said. When you do that, you're using the sword of your tongue, the sword of your mouth, to murder. So how many of you, honestly, have ever called somebody a name? Uh-huh. Yeah. We won't ask what kind of names you called them, but anyways, we'll just assume it was just idiot, okay? Yeah. Well, we're, we're doing pretty good here so far, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, we won't ask how many of you have literally committed adultery. But Jesus said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. And ladies, though he referred to men, it goes to you too. You can lust after a guy relationally. It may not physically. It may be relationally that, you're, that you are actually committing adultery with somebody in your mind. And so I won't ask you to raise your hands on this one. This is more of a private thing. But I would probably say that, again, of the adults here, every hand probably will go up. Thou shalt not steal. Steal. Now, again, we're not talking about being thrown in jail. But stealing is when you take something that what? Doesn't belong to you. Have you ever been in a class and the class had to stop because you were talking? The teacher had to wait for you to be focused again? The teacher had to say, Bob, can you stop? Do you know what you just did? You stole the teacher's time. And not only did you steal the teacher's time, you stole the time of the entire class. And so if there were 30 kids in that class and the teacher had to spend five minutes talking to you, you just stole 150 man minutes. That's two and a half hours of time, redeemable time. Don't you love math? Stealing somebody's reputation by telling other people 
something about them that may not necessarily be true, and even if it is true, didn't need to be said. We're thieves. Thou shalt not bear false witness. That means you're not a liar. That means that you didn't deceive. That means you didn't shade the truth just a little bit. You know, like, Mom, he hit me because I want Mom to come to my defense and use the rod of reproof upon my brother. But I always hate it when Mom or Dad says, well, what did you do so that he hit you? Well, I... I see I'm not going to get the truth here. Hold on just a moment. Call the sibling. What happened in there? Well, he... Isn't it amazing how the the first person had a totally different account of what happened in there than the second person? The first person who came lied. Now, they may have told me truth, but they didn't tell me what? The whole truth. That's called bearing false witness. I would venture to say we're all what? Guilty there, too. Now, we've gone through just four, five, six, seven, eight, and now nine. That's six out of ten. Now, let's talk about coveting. Isn't it an American pastime? I mean, isn't that part of the American dream, is to want what your neighbor has? And so, instead of going and stealing it, we, we work ourselves to death so we can go buy it. So it can sit in the yard and we can't use it because we don't have any time because we're always working. But we have it. But we have it. We own one of those, and we proudly display it so that everybody comes to our house and knows that we have it, even though we don't have any time to use it. But we have it. That's seven out of ten. Seventy percent. Now, let's just say we'll stop there because we did okay with the first three. But clearly, if we didn't do good with the last seven, we probably have totally blown the first three because they were all by God. But anyways, could you imagine going before an earthly judge? with a rap sheet like that? If, if you were angelic, I mean, just really a, a righteous kind of guy, more than likely, you'd probably still sin what? At least once, twice a day? Some place where your heart is not directed toward God, whether it's sin of omission or sin of commission. Could you imagine how many times have you sinned through the course of a year? I mean, I'm not talking about the big gross sins. I'm talking about what God considers sin, right? A thousand times? A thousand times? You know, three times a day on an average is a thousand times a year. And you live to 70 years? And your rap sheet is 70,000 offenses long? And you think you're going to stand before the throne and do what? Say, I'm what? I'm good enough. What was the criterion? Perfection. How many times does it take me to mess up before I'm not perfect? Once. So you remember that time, even if you were born without original sin, okay? Even if the, the Mormons were right, right? And you didn't have original sin. No original sin. Isn't that great? We're born without original sin. Do you remember that time when you were less than six months old and you were selfish? You probably don't. But I bet you God does. Remember that time when you wanted the toy and your friend had it? And you said, Mine! I know. You probably never did that. 99.9% of the rest of the world did. All it took was one. In James 2, chapter, James chapter 2, verse 10 says, 
though you obey the whole law, and yet you stumble at one point, you are guilty of, you're guilty of it all. That's exactly right. Pretty simple stuff, isn't it? The wages of sin, what I deserve, what I, what I deserve, it, 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 it's mine. I mean, just as I'm going to demand for my wages from this company, I should be wanting to demand the payment of my work. I mean, I've worked for this thing. I've been pretty diligent. Yeah? I mean, I mean sin, you know, it comes easy to me, but, but I, I, I've been faithful doing it. And so we should be just as adamant, right, to declare to God that we want our just rewards for that. And what is that? Death. Eternal separation from God. Hell. And so this condemnation that comes is because then um, we're not found written in the book of life. Now, this is where we're going to come to this next statement about what does it take to get to heaven. And we talked about the perfection, but really, because based upon my own works, can I ever get there? No. And neither can you. But God knew that. God knew that I would never attain his perfection. But that I would be born with sin, and I would walk in sin. And I would need the perfect sacrifice. And so God provided the way. He paved the path. He made the narrow gate that I could pass through. That I could dwell with him forever. And that came through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, which was attested to by his resurrection, showing the power over sin in the grave. And all I have to do is have faith as a child. And Romans 10 says that I have to believe in my heart and confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and that God has raised him from the dead, and I will be saved. For there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. I don't know how many times and how many different ways the Bible has to say it for us to understand it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, how many? No man. No man comes unto the Father except through or by me. So, you can be a, a good Muslim and get to heaven, yes? No. You what? According to Oprah? Yeah, yeah well, the church according to Oprah, that's, that's true, the gospel according to Oprah. But the gospel according to a lot of a lot of anointed ones that are out there. This is a scary day we live in. Jesus said there will be a lot of false anointed ones who come in our days. They're out there, folks. This universal salvation stuff about this multiculturalism and how we're bringing it in and so therefore it doesn't matter because we all worship the same God. You know, the God of the Muslims is, is the God of Abraham. They say so, so therefore he must be the same one. The God of the Jews is the, clearly the God of Abraham, so therefore he's the same God. And so therefore we're all worshiping the same God, so what's the big deal? The difference is that my God, who is the God of Abraham, is the God who incarnated himself and became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. The one who was in the world, the world was made by him, and whom the world 
knew not. The one who came unto his own and his own received not. His name on the earth was Jesus, in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. Who said while he was on the earth in John chapter 8, unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. If you don't believe I am that I am, ego me. And it doesn't say that in your English. It says I am he, but the word he is in italicies. It's not there. It's ego me. Unless you believe that I am that I am, you will die in your sins. That's what I told the Mormons on Friday. They didn't like that. Anyways, Jesus claims to be God. And if you don't believe that he's God, you're going to die in your sins. You can say what you want. You can say you can believe in whatever you want. You can believe in a toadstool. It doesn't matter. But if you don't believe in the Jesus who claims to be God, the eternal God, it's not the same Jesus that I worship. And so you come to me with another Jesus. You come to me with another gospel. You come to me with another spirit. And so therefore you are a minister of Satan. They didn't like that either. But it's true, is it not? Speak the truth. Speak it in love. And so I always caveat it. You either are or I am. Because your gospel is not the same as my gospel. Your Jesus isn't the same as my Jesus. And your spirit is not the same as my spirit. So I'm either a minister of the devil leading people to hell, or you are. So the wages of sin is death. But God's gift, what he has given to us by his grace, is what? Eternal life. And if I would but as a child receive it, not overanalyze it because I can't fully understand it. How does, how does the eternal become a finite? I can't explain it. Can you explain that? How can you explain how the one who was before all things, who created all things, became a created being and died and yet rose again and lives forever? It's mind-boggling. It's a mystery. But I believe that it's true because God said so. And if you don't receive it as a child by faith, you will never receive it. Man seeks to use his logic. But God says that he chose the things that are not to confound the things that are. And so you may be here today. I don't want to presume that you're not. Sins of presumption, right? There may be someone that's here today. And you have never, as a child, like a child, have re just fully committed yourself to Jesus Christ. You have never just trusted the fact that he has done that for you, and you have committed your life to him. If you believe in your heart, commit your life to him, and confess with your mouth, that means that if it's really true in your life, it's going to come out your mouth, and you're going to talk about him wherever you are. You're not going to be afraid of him. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me, then I will be ashamed of you before my Father. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. That's what the confession of the mouth is. It's not a sinner's prayer. And so if you have this, had this life-changing moment where you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, it will look, it will appear in your life. You will talk about Christ. If he's not a part of your life, then honestly, he's not a part of your life. And you can tell me, you can tell your neighbors, you can tell whatever, 
all you want. You can proclaim it on Facebook all you want. But Jesus is going to look and he's going to say, depart from me, you son of lawlessness. I never knew you. You can say you knew me, but I don't know you. And so their names were not found written where? In the book of life. Because when you believe, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And at that moment, when it is proven by your works that you cannot, you have not attained perfection, and you cannot enter into heaven based upon your own, your own abilities, they're going to turn to the other side, and they're going to turn to the, the Son, and they're going to say, any additional information for us? No, Father. His name's not written here. He didn't receive my gift. He didn't believe in my sacrifice. He didn't commit himself to your loving care. He didn't enter into that new covenant. The covenant in which God says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. All you have to do is become a part, ask and become a part of it. That's exactly right, Andrew. And so they are condemned because they were, their names were not found written in the book of life, but secondly, because they were not saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what it takes to have your name written. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's not of your works. Lest any man should, what? Boast. And so, what's the punishment that we see? Whoever's name is not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. That's, that's, that's allegorical, I'm sure. I'm sure it's just spiritual. It's figurative. It just means that, you know, they, they, just, they went into a painful uh, existence with God for just a little bit because my God is a God of what? Love and God of mercy and God of kindness and God of grace. And so, therefore, I know that my God wouldn't throw anybody in a lake of fire. But as we said going into this, you have to decide what you believe about the Bible before you read the book of Revelation. Do you believe that it's literal or not? Do you believe that it's true? If the answer is yes, then it's true when we come to Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, 14 and 15 as well. And that is that those who are not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life are cast into the lake of fire. That's the location. It's a place of torment. We're told in the book of Mark, chapter 9, that it's a place where the worm dies not. It's a place where people are going to feel, and I'm not doing this for theatrics, this is just fact, where they're eaten away by a worm forever. And it's going to be burning forever. I can't even comprehend 80 years, not to mention forever, it's hard for me. I'm so finite. I, it, I accept by faith that Jesus Christ walked on this earth. I understand it's historical, but it's hard for me to comprehend 2,000 years ago. I don't know about you. It's mind-boggling. I can't even comprehend George Washington in the Revolution. I live in the United States, so I, I think historically, okay, it must be true. right? I mean, I just accept the history of it all. I can't, so if I can't comprehend 80 years ago, how can I comprehend... 
a million years from now? <laughs> I mean, because no matter what I look to, eternally speaking, I always try to put a finite number on it, don't I? I mean, what about you? I mean, can, do you understand what eternity is? It's a sideways eight. Drives me bonkers. <laughs> what's, I mean, what's one plus eternity? Eternity plus one? Eternity plus one? I, it, just, it just keeps going. I mean, somewhere I want to get to this, this end point and say, you know, ah, it's a billion, it's a trillion, it's quadrillion, it's a zillion years. No, it's a zillion zillion. It's a gazillion gazillions. <laughs> it's even beyond that. It's never ending. And as exciting as that seems on the heaven side, it's the same gazillion gazillion and beyond years that's on the hell side, that's on the lake of fire side. And I don't do this necessarily for you to be feeling, oh, bad. But there's two applications here. First of all, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's what's waiting you. And you can play the game, but you can't play the game before God. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you know someone who doesn't know him, you have been called to be a minister of reconciliation, an ambassador of peace, one to bring the news, the good news to, that God loves you and he wants you to spend eternity in bliss. And if we hold that message and refuse to be just a little embarrassed to share it. What we're really saying is, I don't care if you spend eternity in hell. How much do you really love your family? How much do you really love your neighbors? Do you love them enough to not want to see them go to hell? Because the, the duration, the location, the duration, the duration of this is forever. It really is. So, where will you be spending eternity? Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? And how involved are you in giving the message of reconciliation and deliverance? to others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you for your love. I thank you that you alone are God. I thank you that before you created us, before you breathed the breath of life, the ruach, the spirit of life into us, that you knew that we would fall to the deceptions of Satan. That we would be rebellious and disobedient, that we would sin, we would turn away, and that we would need a sacrifice, which you revealed even from the beginning with that goatskin for Adam and Eve. How you showed them that you would provide the sacrifice. In the testimony of Job, stating, I know that my Redeemer lives and I shall see him face to face. In the testimony through Isaiah, 
about the suffering servant. That all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And you revealed it as well then through Jesus himself while he was on the earth and through his apostles. Father, thank you that you haven't left us hopeless, but that you have given us the payment. Lord, I pray for each individual that's here today, Lord, that they have committed their hearts to you. And if they haven't, Lord, that even right now, that they will confess their sin before you. And that they will receive your gift. They will enter into your covenant. They will commit their lives to you. God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you will move mightily in their hearts. But for those that know you, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that we would have a burden for the lost in this world. Wide is that gate, broad is the path, and many are the number. Lord, help us to be faithful servants, faithful messengers, faithful ambassadors. Help us to see the joy of salvation in the life of many others. And Lord, as I hear the pouring of the rain right now, I'm reminded of your truth of your word where you've said that your word is like the rain which goes forth and accomplishes what you have sent it forth to accomplish. Lord, I pray that you will rain down your word through us. And that there will be the washing of the water by the word in our lives and the lives of others, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Let's turn to 521.